So if we're working together and things are going great, there's only so many things I can offer. What say creation wants to put out your new, your new record, dude, you don't have to come crying to me and say, you're right. sorry, do what's best for the band. And welcome once again to the Velvet Blue Music Podcast, where we talk all things VBM. As always, I'm your host, Kirsty. Before we start, I'd like to first thank our newest monthly subscriber, Drew Diver, for supporting the podcast. If you're feeling generous and you'd like to donate less than a dollar a month to the VBM podcast, you can do so by clicking the support link in the description of this episode. As always, your support is deeply appreciated. I'd also like to congratulate the winners of the VBM t-shirt drawing. Cody Landfeld, Jason Anderson, and Tom Miles. Enjoy your free t-shirts and be sure to wear them often to help spread the word. Thank you also to all who participated by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Didn't win? You'll be able to purchase merchandise soon after we set up our online store. If you haven't listened to our last episode featuring Frank Lenz, be sure to do so and learn about Frank's years as a decorated drummer and prolific songwriter and producer. Also, be sure to listen to his latest release, Hot Painless City, available on all streaming services. This month, you're in for a real treat. He's a big fan of this podcast, but wasn't available to be interviewed until now. We're thankful to finally have Jeff Cloud as our special guest this month. Growing up, spending many hours at his favourite indie record store in Riverside, California, Jeff developed a love for music that was above and beyond the standard mainstream fare. His dream of one day owning a record label would finally come true in the mid-1990s. Little did he know that one day he would sell thousands of records and have songs featured on popular TV shows such as Homeland, Boston Legal, American Idol and American Horror Story, and also work with organisations such as Apple, Pacifico Beer, Nike and Disney. As other record labels dropped like flies around him, Jeff continued to invest in top-shelf musicians and release new music for over 25 years. Let's listen to Jeff and Joey finally catch up after 20 years as they discuss the origins of VBM and the ups and downs of being a record label owner. Normally, I like to start off the episodes with something funny or some memory that could uh, you know, spark interest for the listeners. And the only thing I could think of was there was one tour where we drove out to Cornerstone by ourselves. So it's just mm-hmm. you and me. We didn't have Jason. We didn't have uh, right. Richard Swift. And um, we got sick of eating at uh, Waffle House. We got sick of eating at Hardee's and yes. all these, uh, you know, Taco Cabana, like all these yeah. really bad, <laughs> yes. all these really bad places. And so you decided because we were both bored. We were like, OK, we're driving like basically two days to to Illinois. We got bored and we we're like, hey, why don't we get this cookbook? about how to cook food in our engine. Yes, I totally so, remember that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why we did this, but we were like, because we were so bored. So you you got some book or something, and you're like, I want to totally do this, Weeb. Let's go down to, you know, Safeway down the street. Let's get some, let's get some tortillas. Let's get, let's get some onions and peppers yeah. and, and cheese, and let's make some quesadillas, and let's, let's just throw it in. In, yeah. in our engine. Yeah, we were so going to make like, like some exhaust fume quesadillas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, hey, cool. So we decided like we're a bunch of a-holes like sitting here like chopping onions and peppers in the front seat. Yeah. And we put 
like this big, you know, the foiled for barbecues, like the foil that's like three feet wide. Yes. Yes. And wrapped a, wrapped a bunch of, uh, like we made quesadillas with onions and with, uh, with peppers and we threw it on like the carburetor or something. I forgot what it was. And, and we drove through Texas like for about three hours and <laughs> we were starving, but every, every like 10 minutes we, or every half hour we stop and we open yeah. it up and, and nothing got cooked for some reason. I, I like, think, like, that, I think that where we took a wrong turn was like, I think this is what you were supposed to do. Like in a big rig with like a diesel engine, exactly created a lot of heat and got hot. And we were jamming in like some new car that was meant to keep all yeah, cool. Like a, <laughs> and it like, like basically a, wouldn't even melt cheese. Exactly. So it didn't melt. So it, so after about three hours, we decided to go to Hardee's and order some hamburgers anyway. So yes, so it didn't work. So that was my funny story for, from tour. It's funny. You remember that. Okay. Well, let me, let me, I'll elaborate one little or funny story about the same time sweep. Cause I remember okay. you and me went there and I don't know if you remember, but when we went to pick up our rental van, they didn't have a van in stock. And then I kind of had an argument with the girl and she was like, I'm really sorry. We don't have a van. And I'm like, we've had this booked for like a month. You know, we, we have to have a minivan. We have so much stuff that we're driving with. And then the other thing is every time we would rent a car, you didn't really want to let the car rental person know like, yes, we're in Orange County right now, but we're about to drive to Florida. Yeah. So you never want them to know, you, you know, you're about to drive uh, like a thousand miles a day. And I so, was a bad liar. I would like when she'd have to qu- ask a question, yeah. I would like look down. I would look down yeah. and be like, OK. So and, this, thing uh, yeah, ended up, exactly. this thing ended up with us getting I think it was a Nissan. This thing ended up with us getting like a four wheel drive SUV. Do you yeah. remember that? OK, not exactly. a van. So we pile all the stuff in there and we took off. And I remember I remember the only one positive to me was I was like, you know what? When me and Squeebs are driving across half of this whole country, we're going to do some cool off-roading because we've got this four-wheel drive vehicle, right? I remember that, yeah. Okay, and then we do do all this stuff, get to the festival, do, do all this stuff. We actually completed this whole mission, which was probably like a week long or 10 days long or whatever. And I remember we were already back in California, and I'm like, Squeeb, you know what? This sucks. We never, never even did any cool off-roading or drove in the mud or did anything. So we pulled off the side of the road and we jammed through all kinds of mud and we did all it, this it stuff. It was like Redlands or like downtown Riverside. Yeah, or something it, like it that. was like a half hour away from the rental car return place. And <laughs> j- just being like young and just uh, just a dumb idiot, when we took yeah. the car back, it was the same lady that I had the argument with when we rented the thing. And she was like, wow, you guys uh, drove through a whole bunch of mud. Like, the, I'm going to have to charge you a cleaning fee. <laughs> and I remember I was like, what, mud? Like, I don't think we drove through any mud. But you and me both had known we had just been jamming through the yeah. most mud possible. Yeah, they said it was all under the engine, yes. under the uh, yes. under the oil fit, you know, that yeah. the oil filled. It was it was a four by four. So it was, it was like a yep. like a, a splash guard. It was all underneath the splash guard. So I get it. But yeah, yeah I they, remember actually, that. They, I think we actually ended up paying some like $150 cleaning fee, which was ridiculous. But you know what? You and me got to do a little off-roading. So that was cool. That was my first and only off-roading I've ever done. So um, yeah. that's I can't believe you remember that. I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, man, let's let's talk about you now, dude. So um, so here's my famous first question here. So what okay. made young Jeff Cloud get into music? Um, I think I've been interested in music, you know, 
obviously not when I'm like three, four, five, but I think as soon as I'm old enough to kind of like like songs and like music, I think I always liked it. And then, you know, I have an older brother who's 10 years older than me. So Mm -hmm. he's obviously like when he's a teenager in his early teens, you know, he's listening to music all the time. And by default, I'm kind of hearing what he's listening to. And it was just always around me. So I Mm -hmm. I think I just always had an inkling to to like music. I, I don't know why. I just always did. What music did he listen to? My brother was like just this huge Led Zeppelin, you know, rock and roll crazy guy, right? So okay, that's yeah. like my first introduction to music, basically. My, I remember, I remember my brother got on guitar. Of course, he learns how to play "Stairway to Heaven." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. That's like that's that's really sort of my introduction. Right. And then later in life, when he's in college or whatever, right? So when he's you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and I'm ten years later. That's when he makes his ter- weird turn and he's listening to like Heaven 17 and The Cure and okay. Berlin and all mm-hmm. that kind of new wavy stuff, which was kind of my introduction to that, you know. Got it. OK, yeah. Well, I mean, were your folks at all musical at all or or. No, no, not really. They really weren't. I mean, my mom likes music, but she's not like a super huge fan of things. And my dad, uh, I. Honestly, I don't even know if the guy likes music. He would never like put on a record and listen to it. He's just not that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, did you ever go with your brother to like uh, like any any uh, shows or anything like that, or or was that uh, were you still too thing, young for that? The only thing my brother ever took me to was uh, my parents would sometimes go away for the weekend, and they would leave my brother as my babysitter. Which, looking back now, is just absolute insanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So right. since you used to live in Riverside, you you probably know, Sweebs, that they had the Tyler Mall used to show midnight movies, which every single yes. weekend was the same movies over and over again. It was The Song Remains the Same, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Pink Floyd's The Wall, eternally. That's what played every single Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at like midnight. Right, so, yeah. When I'm like, I'm probably like nine years old, man. And my brother said, hey, we're going to go see The Song Remains the Same at midnight. And I'm telling you, I thought it was crazy. Like, whoa. Like, I've never even been out of, out and about at midnight. I don't know what's going on. This is nuts. We went to, uh-huh. the, we went to the movie theater. It's Song Remains the Same. Everyone knows all the funny parts. They all yell out the same things. And at that point in time, uh, whether it was like weed or regular ciggies or whatever it was, everyone smoked in there. And so I would be sitting there and my brother would like pass the smoke by me. Obviously, I wasn't smoking when I was that little. Right. He'd pass it by me and his friends were smoking. And I probably fell asleep in like the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm telling you, I thought it was like totally wild, like just mind blowingly nuts that I was out there and seeing <laughs> that movie. Oh, that's right. You know, Mark Kozlik from the Red House Painters, that movie inspired him to start playing guitar. Yeah, Dude, uh, there's so many weird lyrics from that Benji record where he makes reference to the to that, and I totally yeah. identify with that. Yeah, well, yeah that was the uh, that was just like what was it 2014 release or whatever. I love that record. That was yeah. Really, really again, good. I'm horrible with dates, but I mean that record is is you know maybe his peak after you know what I mean. Right. Right. Okay. Well, was there any bands that you liked that inspired you to start playing guitar or or, or bass or anything like that? Um. Well, like in junior high, you know, I was really into skateboarding stuff. So that was all about like I, all the stuff was like kind of aggro. Like, you know, I was really into like the Misfits or Agent Orange mm-hmm. 
aggression or TSOL tendencies. Exactly. Like all that kind of stuff. That's what I was really, that's pretty much was my thing. Um, but I wasn't playing any musical instrument or doing anything, any, anything like that. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got into high school when I started changing over what I was listening to. And I don't think I bought a guitar until I was like, maybe even like 12th grade, but it could have been like 11th grade. I didn't buy, I I just didn't play anything for um, the majority of my like childhood. Got it. Okay. And it was, this was a a standard guitar, not a, I I always known you as a bass guitar player. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was just standard guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now you, I think you mentioned in another podcast that high school was a time where you thought like, man, that'd be cool if I had my own record label. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'd love to actually put out some independent bands. Was that, was that around high school or, or after high school? It was, uh, it was in high school and it's funny cause, um, I knew we were going to do this interview and I firmly remember the, the turning moment when I knew I wanted to do a label. Okay. I had, I reconnected with a friend. Um, his, his name was Rick Ramos. You might know him. I duly. I know Rick Ramos. So he worked at a record store that we used to frequent all the time when we were in high school. And, um, I just became friends with him. We would hang out all the time. And I remember there was a point in time when, when a friend of his started a record label. It was a guy who lived in Moreno Valley. He started a record label and he put out two seven inches mm-hmm. and Rick had these and showed them to me. And I'm like, wow, wait, wait, who made these? I'm like, Charlie made these like he that guy we know just put out two seven inch records from some bands. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got this record label. It's super cool. And it was that moment when I'm like, wow, I didn't even know like a normal person could do this. I'm I'm doing that. His thing was called Somersault Records. Okay. And I just recently through Facebook asked Rick, like, hey, I do you kind of remember when when this guy made these records? And he remembered it so well that he sent me photos of their first catalog. And there I thought he only did two seven inches, but I guess over time he did four. And he sent mm-hmm. me a photo of each of those four seven inches. And I was totally blown away. That and I'm like, man, I, I cannot believe after all this time you have that catalog and those records still. That is unbelievable. <laughs> Dude, that is funny. How long did Somersault last for? Was it just those four records or did they? Uh, did he, yeah, did yeah. He I, think just, I, think, I think it was just those four. But okay. whatever, man. At least it started, you know? No, no. Yeah, yeah. The, the fact that, hey, my my friend put out this this. You know, this vinyl, I didn't know. I thought only the major record labels had money yes. to put out something yep. like this. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there particular labels that you, uh, like, I don't know, was it like one of the bigger ones, like Sub Pop or, or, or Island or whatever? Um, uh, were there any was, labels you really liked? It, when, I was in, when I was in high school, you know, I was all about like 4AD. Okay. So 4AD is like, like Pale Saints, Dead Can Dance, The Pixies. Red mm-hmm. House Painters, Lush, it, Unrest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So for me, the the whole thing when I started the label was I wanted I wanted people to want the music based on the label. So <laughs> for me, when I was like, I guess I say kid, but when I was like a late teenager or whatever, if something came out on 480, I was I was going to go buy it or I was going to listen to it or I was going to hear it because I trusted their judgment as a label. And Got that it. was that's really really a strong influence on me. So it okay. was basically 4AD. There was a label based in Los Angeles at the time. It was called Independent Projects, 
and it was on a lot more indie tip, but they had this band called Indian Bingo, which was really like a precursor to Red House and Codeine and all the super, super slow stuff. Okay. And then they had Red Temple Spirits and Camper Van Beethoven. All, all, the, all these bands it w- was the same thing. If I went to a record store and there was – it wasn't the band. Like mm-hmm. if it was on independent projects, I wanted to hear it. You know what I mean? Got it. Okay. So when did you finally say, I'm actually going to take the steps to go out and start this label? I'm going to go – I know a couple of bands or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a couple of bands and I'm mm-hmm. going to start, start releasing. Like when was, when was that time? Um, that when I, in earnest, when I was like, okay, I'm doing this was probably Mm -hmm. around, I I would guess that to be something around like maybe like 1994, I guess. Okay. I mean, I mean, keep in mind, like I I made this weird transition when I was in high school, like, like I told you, listening to all this punk stuff. And that was when I met Jason and Ronnie essentially. And then they were, they just really were into this whole British tip and all this other stuff. So I, I, I made a a real change in like musical taste, like pretty much due to them. And then, um, like I said, just like the way that that guy making those records made an impact on me. Mm -hmm. When I first met Jason and Ronnie, they were playing in this band and, um, like we would go, you know, I was in like, I don't know what grade I was in, like ninth grade or 10th grade or what, I don't know. We we would like, you know, go out on some like Tuesday night to L.A. and I would mm-hmm. see them play and I would be like, wow, this is just totally crazy. Like these guys are in a like these guys have instruments in a band mm-hmm. and they're like playing. And, you know, at, at the time I'm like, you know, we're going to sunset like we're going to go to sunset in Hollywood. This is like bonkers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so the that same funny, thing that, that just had a huge impact on me. And then mm-hmm. um just being around them and being around other stuff. And then there was a lot of local bands that we would go see play and they didn't have vinyl per se, but at that time a lot of people had cassettes or if they were really going crazy, like they might have a CD, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it was around somewhere around that area when I'm like, you know, I, I just want to put music out. I want to, I want to make the the medium and and put it in stores. Got it. Okay. And that kind of answers a question uh, we're going to talk about the big four, the first okay. Velvet Blue music releases in a second here. But that kind of answers the question about uh, your the first four bands, uh, Bon Voyage, um, uh, Rainbow Rider. Mm-hmm. And um, and then obviously uh, Pony Express is, is your baby. Is that when you decided like, OK, I know Jason, Jason you know, uh, has his side project on, called Bon Voyage or, or he wants to start this. I have a few of my own songs. I know Ronnie, I used to play with Ronnie, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in dance house children once in a while. Is that when you said, Hey, I got all these assets around me. Let me, let me try to, let me see if we could get some projects together. Was that when that happened? Yeah, kind of. I mean, be, I mean, much, much earlier than that, when, when mm-hmm. I was in high school, you know, I, I had known I wanted to, to do that, to put out records. And then at some point in time, I'm, I am bad with these dates, but, you know, I would say um, maybe like 1990 or 91 or what, whenever that was when Jason and Ronnie were, were being in Dance House Children. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had like, like, you know, someone put out a record for them, like they were on a record label. Mm-hmm. And that seemed that seemed crazy to me, you know. And so it was after right. 
hanging out with them a lot and then uh, hanging out with Jason a lot more like pre-gold and going to see shows and going on tour with them and doing all this stuff. I just saw that there was a lot of other cool bands out there and stuff that people would probably be interested in um, if someone would give them a chance. And then that sure. the opportunity – I, I realized I had a, a better opportunity by simply knowing certain people, but, but yeah, that, that, yeah, what you're saying is true. Like I kind of put a bunch of stuff together and said, Hey, I, I think I could make something that's like palatable that people would like or be interested in purchasing. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. You know, I think this is a good segue into the big four. I have a, okay. I have a bunch of like record label questions that I might squeeze in kind of at sure. the end, but I think this will net, this is a good natural segue okay. to your big four uh, releases. So okay. now you mentioned to me earlier, um, that your original idea for these four was to have a color, a specific color for each of these, right? For example, Pony Express would have like a blue color. And that makes sense because I remember you releasing that seven inch and it was blue. Right. Um, Jupiter James was like, it was, it was green. And I thought mm -hmm. that was interesting when, you know, when I got, uh, you know, when we started working with you that the seven inch was green and it had those the green eyeballs all kind yeah. of stacked down on it, you know? Yeah. Um, bon Voyage was going to be pink and then Rainbow Rider was going to be orange. So was yeah. that, was that true? Is that, was, was that your idea? Yeah, I uh, I was always really heavy into the color concept of things, mm -hmm. so um, that was always the idea. And I mean, it, it did go a little further. If you, I know we're talking about the first four, but I mean, if you talk about the Rainbow Rider CD re-release, it's orange. The Jupiter James full length is still green. Yep. The next Bon Voyage is still pink. Mm -hmm. The next Pony Express is still blue. I was really heavy on that theme. I wanted to do that. And that kind of grew out of just a weird idea that I had had in high school that me and Jason talked about all the time of it would be so cool if a band was just a color. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't care about the artwork as much as we did the music that was with it. OK, now later in life, I understand that the artwork ties with the music and is important. But at the time, we were like, you know, it'd be really cool. Have no artwork like, you know, screw, <laughs> screw these kids, give them nothing. And the idea was much more involved, like all the stuff we listened to, uh, there used to be an EP that would come out or a single. And then that right. was followed by a record. And that was followed by a few singles. There was always a string of releases all tied to one release, which doesn't happen as much today. But the original idea was, hey, have like, let's just say it's let's just say it's like um, orange. Mm -hmm. So you put out an orange thing and it has a green stripe on it that would be a signal to you that the album was going to be green. And then that green album would have like a blue dot in the corner. And that would be a signal to you that the the next single would be blue. Okay. So when Jason started Starflyer, he sort of started with this idea with the monochrome silver. Mm -hmm. Right. So part of that happened. And then when I started the label, I'm like, okay, I'm going to continue on this idea that we've talked about for all these years. I'm going to just go straight color. If you're a band and you're on this label, this is the like, you know, you're sort of like damned with this color. So right. your t-shirts are going to be green. Your <laughs> yeah. stickers are green. And that's what we did, right? And I know uh -huh. we're talking about the first four, but that followed through really, really well until we started working with the Lassie Foundation. And those guys, they say they didn't understand the concept. Mm -hmm. And they were insistent on this full color album thing and it jacked up the whole thing and then it all fell apart. 
You're so, right. So, yeah. so if you really want to know, Lassie Foundation screwed up the whole system. <laughs> no, we will put this California flag on our first release. Exactly. It yeah. should have been all burgundy. Yeah, that's funny, man. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, because I remember, I remember the the Jupiter James being puke green. You know, I remember yeah. looking at it, thinking like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. You know, now, now it's when you mentioned that, I it made me think about like Rick Rubin kind of had this the same idea with from American Records. Okay. Like Rick Rubin would put out, um, you know, vinyl and shove it in a paper bag and just write whatever the band yeah. is and just give it to you that way. So I thought yeah. there's, there's something, especially in the nineties, there was something cool about, there was something, I mean, I, I think what was going on at the time, I think it was the end of hair bands and all that flash, mm-hmm. you know, all this stupid, you know, like crazy art, you know, you get a, you get a metal uh, artwork and it's like a, it's like a painting from like, right. You know, from the middle ages, right. Yeah. Like it's just so detailed and it's like, um, but it's nice uh, and I didn't understand it at the time with Jupiter James, but you get this green record. Uh, our full length record was just pure green. And I'm like, oh, OK, you know, but but then yeah. later on, I thought like, oh, yeah, that's less is more. Less is more. See, with the vinyl, what we were trying, what I was trying to do, all of the early vinyl was was clear blue vinyl. Right. So mm-hmm. obviously it ties in with velvet blue. So the record was supposed to always be blue. And then the band color, the jacket was supposed to be the band's color. It was it got was it. more of a it was more of a puzzle piece that was a cool idea. It just mm-hmm. got it just you know that would have been really cool if you followed it through though. That would yes, have been really, really I, cool. I, yeah. When you interview Campizano, please ask him why he destroyed okay. it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, yeah. So so it seems like tell me a little bit about distribution before we get into the big four here. Okay. Um, I think you had some relationship with. Uh, um, Okay, let me tell you this. When we when we did the first four seven inches, we had no no distribution. That did, that okay. didn't come until a little bit later. So we I just did these straight full on one hundred percent independently, printed them up. We sold them at shows. We sold them at record stores. We sold them through mail order. Other people sold them through mail order. Um, at the time, which lasted for years and years and years, all these shows that we used to go to especially um, if it was the promoter or the promoter's friend or a local thing, Mm -hmm. there was usually a table, which in today's terms, you would call like a pop-up record store or a Mm -hmm. pop-up coffee thing. There was pretty much always someone who carried a bunch of different titles and sold those titles at shows. Mm -hmm. And what's weird is that is void. That's kind of gone from today, but that happened all the time. So um, when you were, asking me before you know how did i how did i sell these records a lot of these went to other people who put these on some merch table at some totally other band's show and Mm -hmm. just through interest or visually or whatever then they all sold and i think you did the same thing too like you would i I I think you still do this right you still do this you'll get records from whoever and then you'll sell it on the vbm website right? right i and i used to do that a lot more um, when we had fewer titles and fewer, you know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. a, a little bit more of a, I don't, I don't know what you'd call it, but you're, you're right. I used to do it more. Now I do it much more sparingly, but when it's something I like or something I want to do, you know, like we had, like we just sold like the new Unwood Sailor 12 inch, you know, right. I, I like the record. Mm-hmm. We're going to take them in. We're going to sell them. 
you know, is, is it really worth it to me? I'm going to make five bucks a record and sell like 25 of them. You know, probably not, but it's a cool title. It's a cool release. Uh, The people who like our stuff probably like that. Maybe they'll Mm -hmm. order one of our releases with that, you know, you know, whatever. It's not something that really keeps the lights on, but it's just something I, that's kind of a holdover from, from, from the past. Yeah. But it goes back to how you enjoyed record labels. How you said, "Look, I trust yes. this record label to give yes. me any," and you're just being trustworthy to you know your your uh, your followers. Right. Yeah, I would totally hope that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go. Let's go right into it, man. Okay. So your very very first release on Velvet Blue Music was Rainbow Rider. You've mentioned a little bit of the history before. You're you're good friends with Ronnie Martin. You're playing shows with Ronnie in the latter days of Dance House Children. And Blonde Vinyl put out uh, uh, Dance House Children. I think it was called Rainbow Rider. And then in, right, in the, right when they're about to release this thing, uh, Blonde Vinyl is no more. Yeah, and uh, and this this is the stuff that I found, and I've actually asked Ronnie some of this to confirm, okay. and he, he confirmed, okay. you know. So he so Ronnie had this record, Dance House Children, Rainbow Rider, and wasn't really released in blonde vinyl, and so now you have all this good music, and I think it's in a really important record because this was the transition into Joy Electric. I mean, you freaking right. listen to it, you're like, yeah. this is pretty much Joy Electric here, and it was yeah. such a it was such a departure from the stuff he did before. And um, so my first question to you is, why not just keep it Dance House Children and re-release it? Why did you why why did Ronnie want to change the name to Rainbow Rider? OK, to elaborate a little bit more on it. So Dance House Children was on blonde vinyl. Right. That's and right. then that went bankrupt. And uh, I know off tape, you and I shortly discussed that bankruptcy is a theme that will come up like over and over and over again (laughs) when we go through future interviews and future things and all about the label bankruptcy is always swirling around me and other (laughs) and other people in this industry it's a really hard industry for 25 years yeah so blonde vinyl basically went belly up and what mike not had done i think it was called siren records is he tried to start a new thing right Okay, I just failed at this, but I'll start a new thing. And he was, you know, he's essentially like uh, someone that is very influential in both Martins. I, I don't want to call him an idol because he's not, but I mean, there's someone that like, you know, they, they have a, a very deep respect for him as an artist, you know? Uh-huh, Mike so, Knott, yeah. Yeah, so I think they just stuck with him. And Ronnie did this record with him. I think he was torn between two worlds of, I think he wanted to start something that was totally new. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the sellability or the name recognition of Dance House Children was probably pushed very hard by Mike trying to do this new thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there is contention among people that it's the third rainbow. It's the third Dance House Children record. Right. 
which, right. okay, it does very smallly say Dance House Children on the front, but it says Rainbow Rider very, very big. And mm-hmm. then it has a title, right, which is Beautiful Dazzling Music 1. So when that thing, when when they did that, that was also a failed label, okay? Mm-hmm. So bankruptcy is swirling even more. Okay. But when Ronnie and I played shows, we played shows as Rainbow Rider. And when we went on tour, we were Rainbow Rider. And when we sold T-shirts, they said Rainbow Rider. It was a confusing time. It was a confusing mixture of things. I guess in some very weird technical aspect, that is the third Dance House Children record, but it is really not. It is really no, you're, intermediate. You're right. Yeah. Uh, you're totally right, because it was, yeah, it was almost like a rebranding, like the same, yes. the same people rebranded. And even, it's actually perfect, the, the music like I said, it's a departure from the old stuff. It almost seems like a nice, like a legitimate rebranding of the band. You know, mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because in preparation for doing this thing with you, I gave a re-listen to those first four releases. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you hear like the first notes of Will Last So Long, which is the A side of that, when you hear that hit in, it's like it's it's like a classic. You know what I mean? If, mm-hmm. for, if somehow like she wants revenge or the killers were to release that song right now it would literally never stop playing on the radio you know what right. i mean it would be uh-huh. instant but because and, it was just this yeah. totally weird little tiny thing it, it it kind of it got lost in obscurity you know right right i i hear that record all the time not from me but angelo um when we lived with our folks he would just mm-hmm. play that record like front and back all the time he lo- right. he still loves joy electric you know but yeah but yeah like when i was li- re-listening to these songs i'm like oh yeah this just sounds like you know 1997 mm-hmm. me and my me and my parents house you yeah know? Um, yeah so oh, that's so, so, that, so that's the that's the one of the four mm-hmm. and him being vbm 001 right mm-hmm. is 100 percent a nod from me to him that he was extremely influential on me. You know, obviously Jason's a little older than me. He's a little older than Jason. He was kind of like the dude who was like making music and doing things while we were just had our eyes open, like looking at him like, wow, he's dudes like making, he's like in this band and they're playing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So he, he is, that is, that is VBM 001 for a full fledged purpose. Got it. Okay, so it's almost like a respect, like like none of this wouldn't happen without, Absolutely. without Ronnie, you know, yes. and Rainbow Rider. Like this whole thing, you know, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know. So that's why, uh, that's why that was the first release. Yes. Okay. Cool. So your second release is your personal band, Pony Express. Let me tell you a story first, okay? okay. So, I uh, about five years ago, I tried to start my own drum. I, I used to try to build snares, right? Okay. And uh, so it was kind of like a drum company. It was called Ridgecrest Drum Works, right? Okay. And so, like in order in order for me to have a product, I would just get an old snare and reface it, right? And kind of and not really cheat, but just kind of and then make it look 
you know, like, like, um, awesome and have my own little label, my badge on it mm-hmm. and, and polish it up and then show that as, as my product. Right now was Pony Express something that you felt like, Oh, well, I got to get another band out there. I have a couple of songs that I have. Let me just put this out here. Not knowing that it would be like this cool thing that you've, you know, this is where I'm like bad with dates and times and, and things. Mm-hmm. When I was doing, when I had decided to start the record label, that was probably coincidentally just coinciding with the time that I had actually started playing guitar or trying to play guitar and recording some songs. Mm-hmm. Um, we had done a three-song demo, which was was a cassette demo. That's all it's really ever been on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had been... I, you know, the band when we when we very first did this thing, it was me, it was Jason, and it was Gyro from Full Dandera. Oh, I or, didn't know or that. Mortal or whatever you want to call it. So, so, gy- so Gyro was was helping you out too. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, it, it had it had this name recognition thing. You know, no matter what it was, without me, basically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. We did that demo, and we had been offered a record deal from this thing called Via Records, which, okay. in retrospect, we probably should have just done it, and we didn't. <laughs> but when you're young, you're just, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. I, I had some weird feelings about it. it. It did have a couple cool bands on the label, but it was based in Nashville, and it just had some, I, I don't I don't know, I, I, whatever reason, okay, we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then there was some brief talks that Jason wanted to do it uh, at Tooth and Nail. And so he, he talked to Brandon about it or whatever. And there was some brief period of time where that was going to happen. And then we didn't do that. And I think it was just, I think it's just like, I had this music, I had this stuff and I might as well just make it one of the four, you know, right. I could have done things one at a time, but I felt like if I just did four at once, then it's established a pattern right away with the blue vinyl and the colors. And it's like, it's not like I'm a guy putting out my friend's band. I'm a record label. Here's four things like, bam, right. here we are. I think I just put out my own thing. Cause it was, it was there. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Now these recordings, did gyro record these songs? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking no, he's the guy gyro that's engineering. Just, gyro just played on the, on the first three demos because he was there. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? We, so, we're hanging out. So we're this, there. Uh, yeah. Who's going to play bass on this? Oh, I will. Oh, who can play this key part? I can. Okay. okay. It wasn't really intentional. It just sort of happened. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, cause I thought maybe this, this was your demo recordings that you re-released. No, in, it's not. Okay. I understand what you're saying, Sweeb. It's it, it, like, sounds like shite, but no, no. <laughs> no it's not a demo. We tried to, we no, tried no, to no, 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 no. Well, it's funny. I mean, it, it all kind of has that. It's funny how you say that, like, like put ourselves back in the in the 90s. We wanted yeah. that dirty sound, right? Like, like, I like, I, yeah. I like that, that Jupiter James record, even though, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll get into that in a second, but it, we, we, it just sounded we, for the so Pony Express open. thing. We were of the mindset that you know, let's just write these songs. Let's let's just bash them out, and whatever the recording is, the recording is. It's not you know the most important part, which is just crazy thinking. But listen, right. when you're young, you just think you have like sort of this punk spirit, and you're going to put this thing out, and so it goes. You know, what I mean, when I when oh, I re sure. I'm telling you, I listened to all four things tonight. When I listened to it, I'm like, man, this thing's pretty rough. <laughs> 
but but at the time, you know, whatever. It is what it is. You can't you can't yeah, go back. No. You know what I mean? No, you can't. No, I just uh, you know, there again, it goes back to nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's uh, it's uh, yeah. When I listened to these again, I, it really brought me back to you know hanging out with Travis and Angelo and trying yeah. to get this thing going, you know, and it and yeah. it was and we were thrilled, you know. I mean, you know, yeah. I you know. Yeah, we were we were so young, but we'll we'll get into the Jupiter Jam okay. stuff. But but tell me a little okay. bit about the actual. Uh, let's let's stick with Pony Express for uh, Transparent with Blue Eyes. Do you uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that song? Um, it's an open question, but I did that on purpose. Yeah, it's an open question. Um, it's an open question that I won't answer. Okay. But but I'll tell you that the that the artwork for the cover. I I loved um, again sp- really swirling around the record store that we all hung out with and Ramos and Dooley and all these same people were swirling around me. There was a guy named Donnie, and mm-hmm. he took the the cover photo of the seven inch, and okay. obviously it's blue and obviously it's very very transparent looking. So the girl on the cover was a friend of ours. In the actual photo, she's she's laying in this bed and she's nude or kind of mm-hmm. wrapped up in some sheets, right? So mm-hmm. obviously, way too racy for to releases the cover, but sure. But looking at the title of "Transparent with Blue Eyes," we we just kept going out of focus, out of focus, out of focus until it was so blurry that you really can barely see her in the cover, but she <laughs> is definitely there. I gotta see the cover again. It's funny. I don't. I didn't really look at it that that uh, that hard. You know. I, yeah. I didn't really look at the details. Yeah. That is funny, man. That's cool. Um, and I guess you're probably not going to tell me anything about after August either, right? You're no. getting all Joe Biden on me, man. Yeah. I'm asking know, yeah, you specific yeah. questions, and you're not answering them. Yeah, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, man. Okay. And where did you actually record this here? This isn't the demos. Did you, did, did you record with uh, Randy Rose in, in no, Corona? No, no. We actually recorded these with Bob Moon at his studio. Okay. The one in Riverside, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. And uh, now I think I asked this question. Did you, did you actually think that you would get a cult following after this release? Because it seemed like people got really mm. interested and they bought your um, next your next release and your full lengths and all that. I, I had no idea. And to, just to be really honest, I mean, all I wanted to do was just, I mean, aside from the aside from doing it as a record label, <laughs> my very, very small ambition in life was to just have this seven inch setting in some of the record stores that I went to. You right. know what I mean? And that, uh, that happened to me and people would come up to me and be like, Hey, I saw your seven inch, blah, blah. And, that that was it. I was like, awesome. I, a mission accomplished. I did right. it. You know what I mean? Was that record store the Mad Platter? Yeah, Mad Platter was one of oh. them, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I love that, man. That was the first store where you could actually listen to CDs. You could actually go I in guess. and listen to it. I've never, like, that That didn't happen at Sam Goody or the Warehouse or what's another? No, no Mad Platter was, was much more special. It was much more indie and... The reason that we all liked it was um, different than from today is they had a, a pretty pretty nice like magazine section. Mm-hmm. Like we would always get the Melody Maker or the New Music Express. They had all the English mags and papers in there. I remember that right at the front window. I remember yeah. all the magazines there. So yeah. they would do that. And then the other thing they did, which none of the corporate places did, is they would always sell like the promotional copies. 
of vinyl CDs, all the stuff yes. they weren't supposed to sell. They mm-hmm. would, which you know is much more rare than the actual record in, right. in collectible terms, right? So if you went in there and you could get some like you know Pale Saints promotional CD, I was like just stoked out of my mind. You know what right. I mean? I got no kidding around. I got suede coming up of the promotional CD from the Mad Platter. Exactly. That's what they did. They always and did that. if I still ha- I could probably sell that for like fifty bucks. I don't I don't Absolutely. have that thing anymore, man. Yes. Uh, but that that was like that 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 blew me away. You know, that was yeah. one of my favorite records. But um, I was going to give you some sad news. Oh. I got the Press Enterprise. Yes, the Press Enterprise still exists in Riverside. Okay. Yeah, I know. It has an article how they finally closed down the Mad Platter for good. Oh wow! I this have... is this week, by the way. Okay, well, let me tell you something weird. I haven't been there for years upon years. I didn't even know it was still open. They changed the name to like Sounds Like. Oh dot, yeah, dot, dot. I, I, I and, did know and that. Then, yeah, and then and then after that, it was it, <laughs> it's done, man. It's no more. It was such a. It, it wow. was uh, when I read that. I read it like an hour before our interview, and I'm like, dude, I I can't believe that. It's just that was it's, such a big part. Yeah, was such a big part of me. I mean, we we used to go to the Mad Platter, and then there was a place in Irvine called Hyde Park. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, that guy who owned Hyde Park said he traveled back and forth to England like once a month. And he would bring all kinds of import releases, right? So the way things would roll back in the day was we would get the new issue of Melody Maker or NME. We would read about bands. We would you see photos read of bands. About the bands? Yeah. yeah, we would see photos of them. You'd read some description of them, and we'd be like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get this single. And what would happen was, like, European bands would have a release date, let's say, of, like, you know, October 1st in the U.K., mm-hmm. but it'd be, like, November 20th in the U.S. for some reason, right? And there's no internet, so all these other people are hearing it. You can't hear it. And then when they would finally get it in, uh, if it was a record or a CD, it would be really expensive. And you, you – well, A, you've never even heard it, but you're like, I don't care. I read about it. I saw the photos of them there. They're looking awesome. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's two songs on the CD. I'm paying 14 bucks for it. And we would get it and then immediately go out to the car or whatever, put it in. And then you'd listen to it. That is funny. It th- times and that have never, changed, ever, dude. ever happens today. You know, times have changed. Like no one would ever do that. You know, no. this effect that, that you would read about a, a band in a magazine is, is very rare. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, dude, that is funny, man. That's uh, that brought me back a little bit there. But I had to tell you that bad news because yeah, that's it was weird. a part of all of us in the Riverside in the Riverside County. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I spent so much time in that record store, and you know, there's still there's still many strange connections. You know, uh, Mike Perez or Mike TV, who everyone calls him, right? He's still working with Josh and Map. He did a bunch of programming on Bon Voyage. He just came from Mad Platter. You know what I mean? That's right. He used to work. Th- I love Mike Perez, man. Yeah. Mike, 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 if you're listening, dude, I love you. Yeah. And then there were some <laughs> other guys who worked there. They were like in some local bands and we would see them play. And like many, many crazy things came from that record store. You know yeah, what I mean? It's a shame. I guess we could just look back and be happy we had those, yeah. those times, you know? Yeah. But anyway, man, I gotta move on. I'd love to talk about Mad Platter the whole time, or or the no, Tyler yeah. Mall, but all right, uh, move it. Yeah, moving. Okay, so the third release is uh, Bon Voyage issue one. Don't tell me when you 
So I know Jason a little bit, right? Um, right. And I, I can't help but feel like he just threw this together just to make a few bucks without really knowing how cool this was going to be. Does that does that sound right? Um, I don't. I don't think so because I mean, we when you say make a few bucks, I don't really think we were making. We weren't making any bucks at this oh. point in time. You know what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. I just remember that. Um, I think he was bored. I think that was born out of boredom. Okay. He, he, he had just told me that he, you know, he said, I'm writing some songs, you know, everything, you know, we can't put out like, you know, a new Starflyer thing every two weeks. So I've been writing some songs, I'm doing some stuff and I'm having Julie sing, mm-hmm. um, which, which maybe was a weird holdover from when Lee sang on a, on a Starflyer song. You know what I mean? Oh, and then, yeah. so, so now Jason's met Julie and she's going to sing and, you know, she, she has a really unique voice. And so they did those songs and he was saying, you know, I just want this to be something. Um, he, what he was saying was, I want it to be like some classy like thing, like maybe like French. Like he's like, I want it to be something like, like called, called like Chanel, but you know, obviously it can't right. be called Chanel. Like kind of like I April, said, April, March or something like that. Whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I said, okay. I said, I don't know. How, how about Bon Voyage? And he's like, done. That's what it's called. So like, you okay. actually, you actually helped name Bon Voyage. I didn't even know that. Uh, only, only out of just what he said he was trying to aim for. It was the first thing that came to my mind. And so we went for it. Dude, that is funny, man. That is funny. Now, Jason and Julie, I don't even think they're married at the time. I think they're still engaged, right? I, I, I was trying to piece that together today earlier. I, I, I couldn't answer that for you. I really don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. And the other weird thing that I actually do not know to this day. And I mean, I'm talking about a guy I've spent a lot of time with. I don't know if Jason wrote the lyrics and Julie sings them or if those are her lyrics. I I honestly don't know that. I've never, ever asked him. I don't know. I need, I need to find that out. I wish I would have, that would have been awesome information, but what do you do? You would do. But I mean, Uh, those those early singles, same thing. I mean, I listened to them and they're like, then the first four seven inches squeeb is a pretty motley crew of things that are cobbled together, but it, they are what they are. And sure. those two Bon Voyage songs are really cool. And I think Julie sounds like great on them. I, I mean, oh, yeah. I just listened to them and I'm like, man, she really sounds great. She does. Sure. Are you, I mean, were you prepared after that release to be like, Hey, I, I want to do a full length bon, bon Voyage record. I mean, were you like prepared? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, okay. I think the idea was just, let's just do this to see how it goes. And then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually we do issue two and uh, this all kind of goes back to the mindset that I was telling you about of, you know, when I was buying all these records and things coming up as a kid, the full length was like a full special treat that was kind of rare. They were surrounded by remixes, singles, EPs. There right. was all these other things. So the full length, Honestly, it probably had never even crossed my mind. And I I probably just thought like this was better in doses of two songs sure. or four songs or whatever, you know? Because I never grew up in the indie. I never understood. I always thought like you have a full length and then you have an EP, which were lo- like leftovers from the full mm-hmm. length. But you're saying it's opposite. It's usually like songs sprinkled and then maybe we'll drop a 
you know, a 10 song full length. Yeah. Issue. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I didn't even know that. Did Jason record this, uh, uh, with, for some reason I got Randy Rose in my head because he did. Rand- he did. Okay. Yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he that did. was he out re- and that was out in Corona, right? Yeah. That was out in Corona and, uh, same thing. There was Randy Rose was like intertwined into so many different things because he was a guy that, uh, like Jason and Ronnie, looked up to and there was a real weird a long period of time when ronnie was roommates with randy Mm -hmm. in corona so we like hung out all the time kind of by default um and randy is just uh he is a really 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 talented guy oh yeah really is he and in a lot of weird respects he reminds me of like richard swift he is a guy who is kind of good at everything oh yeah and he he uh, he's just a really really talented guy. He all around. I he he's a guy like I don't know why no fantastic things never happened for him because he writes things, records things, plays things. He mm-hmm. he's a really weird odd guy in life that you're not going to meet very many of who are kind of good at everything that And they he and he had music. nothing to, this is what I got from him too. He had nothing. To, I was like 16 when I met him. He yeah. had nothing that he could have he could have, you know, you know, treated me like garbage, you know, cause I was like, you know, this stupid kid with spiky hair. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, just played in a couple of, I uh, played some praise songs, you know, but mm-hmm. he made you feel like a million bucks when, when you recorded with them. Yeah. Totally nice guy. I mean, ridiculously nice guy. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, I, I think the issue too came way later, right? Bon Voyage did have a, a second release as well. Bon Voyage issue two is uh is VBM zero one three, okay. So it, it's later, but not that much later. Interesting. I didn't even know that. I'm glad I I'm glad I mentioned that here. So, obviously, eventually Bon Voyage, um, did a record on BEC Recordings. Yeah. Were you were you bummed about that, or was it? Did you want that, or did you just were you were you just hey good good for you? I'm glad. I hope it takes off. Yeah, no, no. I, I I always had the good for you, glad it takes off attitude. Uh, honestly, with with most every band I've ever worked with, you know. Mm-hmm. So if we're working together and things are going great, um, you know, I am what I am, and there's only so many so much things I can offer. So if you're working with me and you're my friend, and you know, what say Creation wants to put out your new your new record. Yeah, dude, you don't have to come crying to me and say you're right. sorry. Do do what's best for the band. That's fine. And I always held the idea that if you blow up and you become something awesome, I have your first two seven inches. Yeah. So fantastic. <laughs> Let me sell these right. a million times, you know? Right, right. I, I yeah. never, and, and, I, and I think I, I think to confirm what you're saying right there, Rob Witham confirmed that he uh, you know, when he was gonna record a full length with mm-hmm. you, with with uh, with uh, uh, with uh, Velvet Blue Music, yeah. you gave him the okay to go to Tooth and Nail. Go ahead, do do those yeah. records in Tooth and Nail, and then if you want to do something in the future, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't ever want to be holding anyone back, and I always have viewed what we what we do here as a label as sort of a stepping stone. You know, that was sort of the purpose: be a stepping stone, right. make a few mm-hmm. steps, do a few things. You know, I know we're on the first four, but like, you know, Richard Swift was a really great example of that. Sure. We, we decided together, let's just keep putting out seven inch after seven inch after seven inch. And someone has to notice this. Let's just keep mm-hmm. doing it. And mm-hmm. that's what he did. And it worked. I guess a really long winded answer to your question. 
no, I, I was never disappointed when uh, Bon Voyage went to do a new full length. No, n- n- okay. not in the slightest. Okay, that's good. I, I figured that, but I had to throw that in there. So Sure. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So the fourth of the big four. All one right, of my baby. One of my favorites, Jupiter James. <laughs> This is pre called as Paul, yep. 1996. So I met, this is when I met you, Jeff. Okay. 1996, you went out to Grace Fellowship Church in Norco yes. to go see Travis, Angela, and I play for a youth group. Yes. And Travis was like, yeah, the, uh, Jason Martin's going to be there, the, you know, the guy from Starflyer. And we were like, what? No way. And uh, and this guy named Jeff for Velvet Blue Music, if, if they like us, then we're they're going to, they're going to, um, release some some music on their record label and they have like diamantry distribution because they know mm-hmm. like brainstorm brainstorm was the record label i was thinking about because they know the guys from brainstorm and i'm like whoa no no way so so 1996 was in that show was the first time i've ever seen you i didn't really meet you because i think you slipped out before uh you know be- before uh you know uh the 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 show was over which okay. which gave which gave Ange and I like we're looking at each other like oh did we did we did we blow it or or did, did yeah. we suck or <laughs> but I think I think you just left because you were hungry but but um, but yeah that was the first time I've ever seen you and you're sitting in the back pews with it was it was Jason Julie you and Wendy okay yeah, yeah I, so. I, I I sort I do sort of remember the show and I'm trying to think really hard I know Jason already knew Travis. I'm not sure if I had ever met him that, at that point or not. I really mm-hmm. don't know. So you didn't know? I thought you knew Travis in high, in high school as well. So um, I guess he, not. Uh, you know what? If I did, it would have only been through like the Martins if he was at somewhere. But like I, I never hung out with him. Or I know I, I didn't really know him. He, I think he knew a lot of people I knew. You know, mm-hmm. I think he knew like. Like I think he hung out with like Eli and Josh and those guys. I think we we're always in similar circles, but he was not like a guy I would call up and, and you know go to the movies with. Right. Okay, I got it. Yeah. I mean, I guess obviously you must have liked the show because you ended up uh, putting out yeah. a seven inch. You know, and this seven inch is uh, it was John the Madman. Yes. And uh, John the Madman on one side and and Sunshine on on the second side. Yes. And it was funny. It's funny re-listening to this. I'm like, I remember I was, when I was younger, I was like maybe 16 or 17. And I'm like, oh, I finally got this. You know, uh, I think I still have it. I have the press. It wasn't like the full. Uh, it wasn't like with the artwork or anything. It was just a white label. Oh, yeah, uh, I think I still, I still have a test press around here okay. somewhere. But I listened to it and I was a little bummed because I'm like, dude, why are my drums uh-huh. so buried? My yeah. drums are buried in the mix. And then I listened to it this week and I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> I'm way too busy, man. I'm like, I'm like, because it's my first recording. I've never been in yeah. a recording studio, and I'm doing every little, every little fill, every cymbal hit was was nuts. So I kind of figured out, like, oh yeah, if they would have put it up in the mix, it would have really ruined the song, you know. So I'm glad, I'm glad they took that, uh, 
uh, you know, they took the idea of bringing everything down and, and it seemed like yeah. it worked out pretty good. So, <laughs> so, so, so tell me this, cause I, this part, I kind of, I don't remember as well. You must've went to roses and recorded just these two tracks or was yes. it, it was only these two. It was only those two in okay. one day. And I remember the drums were set up in, in Randy's, uh, living room. Okay. And uh, it was this old Gretsch, which sounded awesome. I wish I wish I knew what year it was and the sizes. Yeah. I'd probably buy it again. But that guy but, always uh, had nice kits. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the guy was a drummer. So I, I forget. Yeah. I don't know. But but he uh, but he um, or we we went in and and recorded just those two songs. Okay. And um, and you mentioned uh, earlier about Randy just picking up something and playing. That I remember that organ solo was mm, like yeah. first take. Was first thing. He just name, set up. But... He's, yep. He set <laughs> yeah. up. Set up a, a distortion pedal yeah. to it, you know, and cranked it and just and just yeah. jammed it. And Jason was laughing the whole time because he thought it was awesome. And yeah, when I listened to it and that hit in, I'm like, "Yep, that's Randy." The yeah. dude's name is all over that thing. I you loved know? it. Oh man, I thought yeah. it was great. Yeah. But, well, um, okay. Let me let me say this for you. Let me rewind just for a second, I guess, because. I, I must have known Travis because when Travis was doing that Red Timber band, mm-hmm. um, I, I must have known him because we all, we all really liked that track. See, that's the thing. Before I'd ever seen Jupiter James, I had already I had already heard him record music and make music. So I was actually excited to see what if, what is his new venture because the last thing he did was cool. I, I forget all about that. I, it's not like I was blindly seeing you. I already knew what that guy was doing. Right. No, no, no. And and funny enough, that song that was recorded on that Tooth and Nail Artcore was mm-hmm. Lemonade, which yes. was the second song on yeah. the full length record. So that was his great song, track. You know? uh, yeah. Awesome track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, were you pretty happy with with the songs overall, like after that was pressed, after that was recorded and mastered and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's funny listening to it today. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's the same comment I have for, you know, all, well, you know what, actually? I'll leave Rainbow Rider out of the mix, but when I listen to the other three, they are they're a little rough, you know what yeah. I mean? But I but <laughs> yeah. I think but I think that's the kind of the charm and the spark of them at the same time, you know? Exactly. So at the time was I happy? Yeah, it was probably ecstatic. I thought right. you know, I thought it was something awesome. Right, yeah. Now did you expect like many releases from Jupiter James? Did you expect it to kind of end after the uh, after the the first uh, full length record? No, I mean, I mean, the hope was that it was going to keep going, and you know, everyone, everyone wants the band to keep going, but you know, the odds are really, really against. You know what I mean? How, how right. many bands make it to like their fourth record? Very, very few. You know very what I mean? true. Very yeah. few. And it's amazing how Jason Martin, you know, how that guy has, I mean, endless, yeah. endless releases. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like it's like the Smiths if they just wouldn't have broken up and they just kept cranking out like four things a year, you know. Right. Jason actually has slowed down a little bit in his in his older age. He he doesn't have as great an output, but he still is putting out a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd like that Miami release. That was that was uh that was shockingly good, you know. The guy the guy is like a virtual music machine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but that was that was your that was the big four, man. I mean I mean, I, I guess the my, my next question is how did these for sell that they, they i guess they eventually sold out right yeah yeah those are yeah they're kind of rare today floating around you know uh-huh now did I you mean, put any of these at the med platter did you put uh, d- absolutely yeah absolutely. Oh, okay, that's cool. absolutely yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned a second ago, yeah, these do sound really rough. You know, these, these sound very, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's what's the word for it here? Like, uh, I guess raw raw is a, is a word, you know. Yeah, but, sure. but at that time, it was it was so refreshing to hear it. You had so many songs that were on TV shows, like like you know, Thirteen Reasons Why, American mm-hmm. Idol, Revenge, Boston Legal, American Horror Story, uh, yeah. Elementary, Homeland. I mean, did you ever did think about young Jeff Cloud, right? If someone were to say, like old Jeff Cloud went went to the past and said, "Hey, by the way, your music's going to be on top television shows," like no. would you believe? Would you believe him? No, absolutely not. No, <laughs> I, to, to this day, I, I don't, still don't even know how the thing's going. I don't know how it. I don't know how it lasts. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Even organizations like like <laughs> Apple. I think I'm trying to remember. Was it? Um, at the at, at an Apple release, I think of Velvet Blue music. We had a, we had an Air Review song in an Apple app. Air Review, yeah. Air Review. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nike, Pacifico Beer, um, yeah. Disney. You know, O'Neill, NPR. I mean, these are, um, I guess, just evidence that hey, man, you did something really good the last 25 years. You weren't just, you know, putting out one thing a year. You've used your judgment, which the judgment that you looked at other record labels you truly became that guy to a bunch of people because look at the evidence here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's little, it's very little, but at least it's left a little bit of a mark or, you know what I mean? I, it's nice when people send emails a lot or, or they'll reach out to me from, from some messenger or whatever. And they'll kind of explain how like, th- th- like this was sort of the soundtrack of like my college years, or this is, you know, I, I listened to this for so many years or some people will say like, th- like this, I don't want to freak you out, but like my kid is listening to the thing that you used to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, right. So it's left, it's left some mark in history. I mean, I don't oh, know, yeah. you know, that's exciting, man. Um, you know, do you, do you happen to know how many records all together you've sold? Do you keep that kind of, you know, do you keep the, those numbers at all, you know, of, of how many <sighs> records you sold, how many, you know, digital no, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I mean, we're, we're basically uh, I'm putting together release 200 right now, you know. And that's my next question. Any 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 new releases coming? Should we know about that now or is it should we keep it under wraps right now? Uh, I can't tell you about 200 right now, but I could tell you about um, VBM 193 is the new Isla Invisible um, seven inch, which will be very cool. Okay. And, and then, uh, one ninety seven is the new Mr. ENC, which is, um, Eric Collins kind of solo thing. That's his new seven inch, which is oh. like by far the, the coolest stuff he's ever done. I'm, I'm pretty awesome. excited about that one. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, there's always something in the works, you know what I mean? I'm excited about 200. I think that should be celebrated somehow. We got to think of something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, well, man, that's, that's pretty awesome, man. I, I'm, I am going to go to the next uh, segment here, which Great. is a fan favorite because it is questions from fans. Okay. So first one, Gary Allen, he asked this question. He says, I'm interested to know how big of an influence David Lynch is to you. I'm not sure if it's if it's been answered before or if it's common knowledge, but here's the question. Is Velvet Blue a nod to his film Blue Velvet? 
The answer is yes. It is. Um, it is, yes. Okay. Um, the answer is also something I regret because when you're 20 years old and you do some wordplay on something, you cannot even imagine how many times later in life that people will accidentally call it blue velvet. Right. I've right, listened so, to podcasts. I've listened to podcasts where you're like, hey, Jeff from Blue Velvet. I don't even mind. I don't even. It's like I don't even hold it against them. I did that when I was young. It was a very <laughs> unwise decision. I right. shouldn't have done it, but I did it. Definitely a nod to that. Um, he is highly influential to me uh, in way of film, but probably maybe even more in the way of soundtrack and the music that's involved in the in the things that he okay. does. You know, you're the guy that brought, uh, that turned me to onto uh, Twin Peaks, right? Uh, I don't know if you should thank me for that or curse yeah, me. Yeah, that that was uh, I think after one of our map tours, I went home and I think I I somehow got the videos and yeah. uh, I think it was from Dooley or something and watched okay. them all. I thought th- I thought it was crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I didn't like it when I was 12, but I think when I turned you know 18, 19, 20, I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's cool. That's, that's some good information. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know that was an influence. So, okay. Yep. I always butcher this guy's name, William, forgive me, William Eckhart. So okay. he asked this question. He says, um, what band do you most regret not signing? Okay. So there's not a lot of bands uh, and I'm not saying this is because like the label's so great and they couldn't say no. I'm just saying I don't really know that there's a band that I pursued or really wanted to work with mm-hmm. um, that, that I didn't really get to work with that I that I regret not making an effort at. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that comes to mind would be um, would be maybe Luxury, the band Luxury, which I absolutely love. Um, okay, but you know. Uh, on the flip side of that, we did release Lee Bozeman's solo EP from Luxury, so which is I, I great, like, by the way, one of my favorites. Know, yeah, so that 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 was awesome, and I did that. Um, the only other thing that comes to mind was there was a guy who used to be in this band called the Pomegranates, and he was doing a new band, which was like uh, I think we only had three or four tracks from the band that they'd recorded. But there was one or two of them that I just absolutely loved, and I was so excited. And we were going to do a double seven inch with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the midst of doing all that, he was really stand up guy and sent me an email and said, "Hey, I just I just want to let you know, like we've disbanded. We're not going to play a single show. Like, uh. There's no band. I, you know, I I'm not asking you to not do this, but if you want to not do this, you know, I I totally understand because you know we're going to do nothing." And I said, okay. And at the time I didn't do it, but I don't know. There were two really, there were, there was like two really, really strong tracks, which I loved. And right. they have probably never seen the light of day and they probably should have. Yeah. Well, that's always a hard thing. It's like, here's, here's a product that I'm not going to promote. Yeah. You know? And it's like, how do you, what do you do with it? You know, it's just, it almost seems, you know, you'd probably get all your money back, you know, eventually, but, but it didn't at that time, it just doesn't seem that that right. great of a deal, you know? So yeah. I kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so Jared Hollis, he asked this question. He says, what's the best slash worst part of physical media disappearing? Okay. So I, th- maybe the only thing that Jared is, uh, you know, not, not 
totally understanding is I don't, I don't really think physical media has gone away. It's maybe become a little more boutique ish in, Mm -hmm. in sales and things like that. I understand that like a major label is not going to sell as many CDs of course, or whatever they're doing. But for me, it's, you know, whatever we started making vinyl. That's what I started doing. I made vinyl. I'm still Mm -hmm. making vinyl. It's 25 years later that people are still buying it. So Mm-hmm. The physical medium hasn't really gone away for me so much. Um, it the only thing that's helped with is it like let's say you want to test the water with something and not financially get super involved and you could do something lighter. Mm-hmm. You could put something that's digital only, you know. But um, I don't know. I, I I hope it doesn't go away. I mean it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. I listen to stuff online all the time too, but I would much prefer people to actually take the time to put right. a record on and pay attention. You know, I I feel like there's a resurgence. I mean, I think everybody notices that now. Mm-hmm. I was in line at Winco about two months ago, and uh, in line there was like this vinyl, like literally at like right there at the at the self checkout, there was this uh, stand with a bunch of vinyl, like ELO, Van Halen. Yeah. You know, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, what year am I right now? This is absolutely crazy. <laughs> like Michael yeah. Jackson thriller. You're like, what the heck happened? Exactly. It seems like, yeah, it seems yeah. like people really want <clears throat> physical yeah. product, you know, and I think I think people are tired of, well, even me, for example, like I'm a software developer and I get up and I go to work and I work eight hours and I come home and just kind of know in my head I did something. I don't have a physical product, you know. I don't have like, oh, hey, I, I, I built this thing out of wood or something. Hey, check it out. It's kind of like it's it's all ones and zeros on a computer somewhere. You know what I mean? You're like, it's, it's kind of strange, you know. I think people like the, the physicalness of things, you know. Yeah, I do too. I think someone wants to hold someone. Someone wants to read something. It just sure. feels nicer. Sure, yeah. So Matthew Schwartz, he asked this question. He says, what's the biggest selling record or album at VBM? Easy answer. Jupiter James called his call. (laughs) I bought a sports car. I bought a house. A lot of things. Never paid them a penny. And I don't regret it. What our biggest seller is, um, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's probably going to be financially based on a placement in a film or something like that, as opposed to sales. You know what I mean? Got it. So, um, the best selling thing, I, I guess, if we're equating it to, to what has made the most dollars, right. Is mm-hmm. probably not the band that has sold the most units of physical media. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Tom miles. How much time does VBM take up in your average week? And is your wife, Wendy, a VBM fan? Okay. Uh, that really, really varies upon how much stuff I'm doing or what's going on. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In later years, I've tried to limit the amount of releases so that I can focus more on the releases. But I sometimes lose control of that. And then I get sucked into some other things, Um as of late, I've been actually doing PR for some other labels and other projects and things. So, you know, being the busiest guy in the world, what do I do? I, I just take one more thing on. So I don't know why, but it's it's pretty much all consuming. Um, and I don't, I don't have an extreme amount of leisure time. 
during mm-hmm. regular weeks or weekends. I try to go on vacation to get that leisure time, but it's work. But at the same time, I enjoy doing certain things and accomplishing things. So it's a lab- labor of love. Yeah, it's hard to put a it's hard to put a time on. As far as Wendy, um, she does like the label. Um, I could tell you many, many times what echoes through the house is if she wants to go out to dinner and I say, no, I'm tired or whatever, then this phrase, you know, if I was this band, you would, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, okay, I get it. Uh. So, so I get that a lot. Um, Uh. she's heard obviously oodles and oodles and oodles of music. I do consult her when I'm thinking about signing something new or working with some new band or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had the most interest, you know, maybe a few years ago when we put out, um, we had a really nice run of records, which was Doug Burr, Telegraph Canyon, mm-hmm. Bethan, um, and working with this girl, Gilia. And so Wendy had some interest in the bands before, but she really got interested in them. And we flew to Texas a few times. And like when we've seen Doug Burr play or Telegraph Canyon Mm -hmm. to her, that's the same as like seeing some, it's like seeing Radiohead for her. She, you know what I mean? She just like Mm -hmm. totally stoked every time. Like I get in the car and Telegraph Canyon CDs on, not that I mind hearing it, but I'm like, you know, how many times can you listen to this same record? Uh But cool, whatever you you like it. Great. That's fine. You know? And I'm sure she's proud of you, right? Because you've, you've hung on for, for 25 years it's almost her baby too, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Either that, like or a, she just thinks I'm crazy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Tell her I said hi. I don't think she remembers me. Uh, uh, she uh, totally remembers you. 100%. I, you know, she was she was really funny and really nice. Is, is she still doing uh, design work? She is. Yeah. That's yep. cool, man. That's awesome. She stuck with it. Yep. Last question, Jeff. Okay. Yes. Um, okay, uh, Jared Colliger. Any more funny Josh Dooley stories? Yeah, I, I have a lot of them. <laughs> so I'm going to just try to keep this one brief. I, I hope it translates well. If not, I'm counting on you to edit it out, Joey. Okay. So Dooley had come over to our house one night for dinner. Um, I would place this at about like 10 or 12 years ago, maybe. Okay. So he came over to our house for dinner. I can't remember the exact dinner, but I sort of think it was something like crab legs. And Dooley could back this up. I sort of think we were having king crab legs, and it was like kind of this elaborate big dinner, and we ate a lot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so we were having dinner, we're eating. I'm sure we were drinking wine or doing whatever we were doing, uh-huh. and so we had this huge dinner. And we, we finished the dinner, and I'm like, man, Dooley, I am like just so stuffed. I can't believe it. And Josh is like, oh, dude, I like, I am so full. I just, you know, I am so done. And Josh isn't like a big guy anyways, you know, Mm -hmm. so he's like, oh, my gosh, I just need to sit here for a second, relax and whatever. I said, "Okay," And I said, oh, man, I I totally forgot, too. I'm like, I got dessert. (laughs) He's like, oh, dude, he's on a cloud. Like, I like I'm not being jerk or anything, but I I, I just can't do it, man. I'm I'm really sorry. I said, "Okay, that's fine. A couple minutes goes by and he's like, hey, hey, cloud, um, you know, by the way, like what, what was the dessert? And I said, well, I got this weird new thing. And it was, we have this place called BJ's Pizza. And I, like, I got this weird thing and it's, it's, uh, it's a BJ's, they call them Pazookies. It's like a, it's like a brownie. And then it has whipped cream and ice cream and then chocolate fudge poured over the top of it. <laughs> and Dooley's like, whoa, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. 
He's all, okay, let's have him. Let's just have him. Let's just have him. I'm all, okay. I said, well, do it. I'll do it. But then here's the weird thing. It was like uh, um, you had to put, you had to put this thing in the oven, okay? Because you had to bake a brownie. So this is not like just an instant more eating. Like, sure. like you know, let's say like you're an average person and you're at McDonald's and you eat your McDonald's meal. If there's another small fry just hanging out at that point in time, right then you'd probably eat it. But if you let like 15 minutes roll by, you'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm done. You know what I you're, mean? You're settled. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, fine. I make the bazookis. I bring it out. Uh, we each eat one. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. But okay, let's eat these things. So we eat them. And then Dooley is saying like, this is like phenomenal. This is maybe the best dessert I've ever had. This is insane. <laughs> that, that this came out of some frozen thing. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So we eat them, and I'm like, duels. I just don't feel that good, man. And I'm like, how do you feel? And he's like, oh, he's like, I don't feel good either. He's like, but dude, honestly, I would, uh, I could probably eat another one. That's the best dessert I've ever had. And I said, okay. I said, do you like w- want me to put another one in the oven? <laughs> okay. And then Dooley's like, uh, no, no, I'm good. And then like two minutes later, Cloudy could you put one more in? I'm like, yeah, I can put another one in the oven. Okay. So another like 15 minutes goes by to break the, bake the brownie, do all this stuff, give it to the guy freaking eats it. I don't need another one. Okay. Cause I'm like, this is crazy. So he eats another one. And I'm like, Josh, I can't believe that you've eaten this whole dinner and now you've eaten like two pizookies. Like something bad's going to happen to you. You know what I mean? Like your head's going to pop off. This is nuts. A little time goes by. And I said, Josh, I'm just throwing this out there. It was a four pack. I'm like, you know, there's one left. Uh, and he's like, dude, just do it. Put the thing in the oven and bring it out. I'm like, okay, brought it out. That guy ate three, three pizookies after a full dinner. He probably ate like 32,000 calories. You know what I mean? It was unbelievable. And that's why right. to this day, I think if he could do a hot dog eating contest or anything like that, <laughs> I think he, he could succeed. He did that crap on tour. Remember we'd go to McDonald's and like, we just get a, like a, like an egg McMuffin and he'd yeah. order like, he ordered an egg McMuffin pancakes, uh, two orange juices, you yeah. know, a milk. And he, yeah. he would do that. And then where's it all going? Where's and it then all he, going? Exactly. That's so funny. He must have yeah, a high when metabolism. When he walked out of my house, there was probably like chocolate fudge and whipped cream, like oozing out of his toenails. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just nuts. This has been a lot of fun it's fun there is nostalgia right it's yeah of course it's uh this was a very important part of my life right like uh you knew me before i started touring i was just really bad socially and was afraid i, I never left like riverside county or orange county ever and next thing you know i was like mm-hmm. you know on tour with you and um recorded on some projects which were really cool Getting to know you that whole time was was fun, dude. And uh, it was kind of sad we stopped talking, but life moves on. Yeah. But I but I'm, but I'm glad that you know we got together uh, here and we're um, going over some of the uh, the first releases of Velvet Blue. Yeah. That started this, this really cool phenomenon, you know. That's that's been that's been around for 25 years. But somehow yeah. you you've understood, you know, your market. You're able to keep your your followers happy, and um, kept a really credible record label up for 25 years, man. I think that's pretty impressive.
would like to give a special thanks to Jeff Cloud for joining the Velvet Blue Music Podcast today. All song samples will be listed in the description of this episode and they're available to stream on Apple Music, Spotify or your favourite streaming service. You can support all Velvet Blue Music artists by purchasing merchandise on velvetbluemusic.com. If you'd like to support the VBM podcast, please click the support link in the show notes for more information. Like and follow the Velvet Blue Music podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram for the latest news and upcoming episodes. See you next time. Can't you see?